Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Today's daf is being taught by Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, the rabbi of Anshe Chesed in New York City. Hello and welcome once again to Daily Daf Differently. We are on Tractate Shabbat, Daf Gimel. We're going to continue the conversation that we had yesterday about the transfer of objects from private to public space. We note that the Mishnah used the term Patur, which generally means exempt from punishment but still guilty of transgressing a rabbinic prohibition. But the Mishnah said that if the poor person standing in the public sphere reached through the window and placed something in the hand of the Bahabite, or vice versa, if the Bahabite reached through the window and placed something in the hand of the poor person standing in the public sphere, that the recipient in each case was not guilty. That the, that the one who carried out and deposited in, in their hands, they were the guilty party. And the recipient was completely, was completely not guilty. And, and the text used the term for that patur. Well, that's a strange use of the term because in this case, that means, not as it usually means, patur, uh, exempt from punishment and completely forbidden. They have done absolutely nothing wrong. Typically, as I noted yesterday, the term patur means exempt from punishment, but violated a rabbinic decree. In this case, that's, that's not what it means. It means they have totally done nothing wrong whatsoever. And so the text, the Gemara now on, on page, page Gimel, asks about that usage and says that it is a rare usage, and there are only a handful of such times when it uses the term patur to mean totally okay. One of them that it cites is seidat nachash, trapping a snake. Typically speaking, uh, you can't trap an animal on Shabbat. Trapping a snake, however, is okay. Now, there is a basic postulate of the system that doing any life-saving act uh, is always okay and doesn't need any special explanation. If you were trapped with a cobra or a rattlesnake, you could you could definitely trap it, no problem. Uh, but now what we're talking about is, is seemingly either a non-poisonous snake or uh, or something that, that while causing you trouble, you, you don't really need to trap it. What if you just left the room or something like that? Um, but even in such a case, it is our practice that something that would be so unpleasant for people to be around on Shabbat, you could trap this snake, even though it wasn't really a case of a life-saving act. The text now goes on and explains another of the key ideas from our first uh, page. That is, that, that it requires the actor to do the entire act by him or herself to be guilty, but not a cooperative act. A cooperative act does not incur biblical guilt. And we, in fact, will explain with reference to a biblical verse uh, this when we note uh, that in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 27, it says, V'im nefesh achat techeta bishkaga me'am ha'aretz ve'asota achat mimitvot adunai asher lo te'asena ve'ashem. If one of the common people should commit a sin through ignorance by doing something uh, against any of the commandments of the Lord, which ought not be done, and then and then they are guilty, and then they have to bring a sacrifice and bear and bear the responsibility for that. Um, 
the sages in the Mishnah, uh, the Midrash rather, uh, will say that that means nefesh achat when one person does the act, ve'asota in its in in that person's behavior, uh, they they are guilty, and the rabbis derive from that that to be guilty of something, it has to be a person's uh, own act, not something that they are merely one of the many parts of. The tractate will pick this up, pick this issue up again in chapter 10 uh, on, on page 93. If you stick with us through page 93 in the Talmud, you'll get this idea again. An exception to that rule, which we will discuss uh, later in the Talmud, is that if the act itself could not be done by one person alone, if, for example, it was carrying an object so heavy that it required two people, then uh, then the two people who did it together can be considered can be considered guilty. I think this is a tremendously interesting idea that guilt is really about one person's actions, not about one's participation in a group that does wrong. I'm not exactly sure why they think that. Is it that they think that that an action is a combination of a mental state plus a physical deed, and you really cannot be responsible for other people's mental states? That is to say, uh, the act is, is understood differently if it was a willful act of rebellion versus whether or not it was simply a mistake, and you can't be responsible for other people's mental states, whether they were rebelling or making mistakes. Perhaps it's part of the rabbi's general tendency to want to find a way not to pronounce people guilty of the death penalty, not to assign people the guilt of being sinners. But I'm certainly not sure that it's an accurate description of what it means to do wrong to uh, note that it has to be a single action and not a group action. Clearly, uh, clearly we can all be part of groups that do terrible things. As Abraham Joshua Heschel said in a famous line, in a free society, few are guilty, but all are responsible. I'm not sure that that our particular law shares that insight or has that insight with respect to Shabbat uh, legislation. Finally, one last uh, idea on this page, or one last theme on this page, which is really interesting. On the backside on Amud Bet, we discuss uh, the legislation that the rabbis have have, uh, imposed, and they want to ask the, the following question. Can you tell somebody to perform a minor transgression, a minor violation of rabbinic law to save them from pre, uh, performing a major violation of biblical law. The question, there are a couple of examples brought, but I will bring the, uh, I will bring, the, I think, the clearest example. You know, in ancient times, they, their ovens were ceramic ovens, and they baked bread by placing the bread on the side of the ceramic oven, leaving it in there for a certain amount of time, and peeling it off the side with a kind of a spatula. That is called, that act of peeling off the side of the oven is called ridiyat hapat. And it is not, in fact, a, a forbidden action at all. It's, it's uh, by rabbinic decree not to be done because it's what's considered uvdin dechol, a kind of a weekday activity, but it's not, technically speaking, uh, a violation of any of the Shabbat laws. So they ask the question, somebody has, uh, before Shabbat, placed their bread on the side of the ceramic oven and forgotten about it. And now, it's Shabbat. Now the Shabbat has come in, and what can they do? Can they peel it off or not? And over the course of the centuries, uh, plenty of people have taken up different views about this, because what's at stake is, what's at stake in this question is, what is the status of a rabbinic law? Is it a good idea that can be set aside when necessary? Or is it a matter of religious authority that has to be kept up? And you'll find different views on the on this question 
Um, some people will tell you, no, 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 you cannot peel that bread off. It's too bad. You will now have violated the, the law of baking on Shabbat, but uh, nonetheless, you can't, you can't peel it off. That's, that's a rabbinic prohibition. Then you will find other, other of the medieval authorities who say, basically, that's crazy. Uh, what we have to do is, is protect the biblical law and its integrity and understand the rabbinic law as, a, uh, as a, an instrument to help us do that. And so that if you can peel it off with a, uh, uh, some sort of different spatula than you normally use, that would be better. But in, in the emergency case, you should, you should peel it off. I think that you should always ask yourself, as you study these laws, uh, whether or not the laws are for their own self or whether they are instruments for some other end. And that is partly a, a partly way of, of analyzing rabbinic law and biblical law. I hope you enjoyed today's Daily Dot Differently and look forward to seeing you tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One B, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.